I'm so glad this morning to have the opportunity to begin our This Is Us sermon series about the book of Genesis, trying to take Genesis in context and see what it, what it says for us. When, when we go back and we look at writing from the ancient world, aside from any theological, spiritual significance that the book of Genesis has, which is as profound as any book in the Old Testament, what we find is that the book of Genesis stands alone, singularly as the greatest work of sociology from before the time of Christ. And I would argue that other than the gospels of Jesus Christ, it is the greatest work of sociology ever done. Sociology is the study of us, who we are, how we interact with each other. And what the book of Genesis does is it tells us where we come from. What words does it begin with? In the beginning, right? Some of you aren't so sure. You're like, in the, oh, there's, yes, now I'll join in. In the beginning, right? It goes back to the very start and it says who we are. And there are all these stories in Genesis about families and conflict and separation and reconciliation because that's who we are right? That, that's how we function. That's how we move through this, this world. And so we're going to look at what God is trying to tell us. Because in essence, Genesis is our backstory. It's not just ancient history. It's our backstory and it affects all of us now. And until you know your backstory, you'll never know God's story for you. You'll never be able to understand and live into God's story for you if you don't understand your backstory and where you came from. This is why when people fall in love, they spend hours talking about their backstories, right? You're attracted to this person. They're kind of mysterious. They're intriguing. So you go out to eat and you just talk and talk and talk about where'd you come from? How'd you grow up? Uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And your server is sitting there going, you've been at the table three hours. I'm hoping for a really good tip. But that's what happens because it's so important that you learn the, the backstory backstory so that you can find out if there is indeed an ongoing story for you. I remember when I was a child sitting around uh, my grandparents' table and after dinner my grandfather he'd get out his toothpick and he'd start picking his teeth because apparently that was okay at the dinner table. You know, you couldn't get your elbows on the table but you could pick your teeth. I don't know how that works but that, that's how it worked. And he would tell stories and he would tell the same stories and he would tell them over and over and over and he'd use the same intonation, he'd grunt at the same times, he'd snort at the same times, he'd make the same hand gestures and he'd, he'd tell stories uh, about our church He'd tell stories about our country. I don't know how many times I heard about FDR cutting the ribbon on the Chickamauga Dam. I, I don't know how many times I heard that President Nixon was a crook, but that man could tie a tie and it's important to look good and you should figure out how to tie a tie. Uh, I, I remember him saying Gerald Ford was dealt a, dealt a bad hand, did the best he could. Uh, and then I remember all these conversations about our family and where we came from and aunts and uncles and who people were and, and what happened when my 
cousins were a little bit older than me. They were teenagers when I was a kid. And I would see them and they'd kick me under the table. And, and they, they'd roll their eyes when he wasn't looking. And we'd think, how much longer do we have to pay attention? And how badly I wish I could go back and sit at that table again. And how badly I wish I could hear those stories again. Because he may or may not have known how much we were itching to get up from those chairs. But what he was doing was something very important. He was teaching us our backstory. He was teaching us where we came from and what we should be all about with our lives. That, that's why we encourage you to read the Bible every day. It's, it's not convenient to read the Bible and to spend time praying every day. It's important it's important because it teaches us our backstory. And I, I would argue that when you start doing it, you'll realize that not only is it important enough to make time for, uh, but in, in fact, once you do it for a while, it, you'll get to the point you don't want to miss uh, because you realize the difference it makes. That's why we make a Bible reading plan that's going along with all these stories from Genesis. You can pick that up at the Information Center or at concordunited.org slash Bible. Online, you can all, at concordunited.org slash Bible, you can also get our daily devotional, which will provide you an email or podcast form, a deeper look into the scripture, a focus for your prayers, so you, you can learn your backstory. And so you can discern God's ongoing story for you. Now, when it comes to the book of Genesis, my favorite quote about Genesis actually comes from a New Testament scholar. His name's N.T. Wright. You've probably heard of him. Some of you have read his stuff. Unfortunately, each of his books is about yay long. Uh, so um, they're, they're funner to look at on the shelves necessarily than to, to dig through all of them. Uh, but, but he's brilliant. And he says this about Genesis. He says, Genesis is the gospel in miniature. Because Genesis, like the gospel of John, starts with in the beginning. And just like the gospels, uh, Genesis uh, centers around a tragedy. A tragedy of how people turn away from God, just as the gospel centers around a tragedy about how people reject and crucify God's son. And in Genesis, like in the gospels, uh, there is redemption and reconciliation because the one who was abused offers forgiveness. Now, in Genesis, that happens at the end with the character of Joseph. In the Gospels, obviously, that's Jesus Christ. But we find so much of who we are in this story. So today, I want to provide you with a summary of the book of Genesis. A quick, actually, six words. In six words, we're going to summarize 50 chapters of, of the book of Genesis. And I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to disagree with this summary. But six words for 50 chapters. Here goes. You are precious, extroverted, broken, and beloved. You are precious, extroverted, broken, and beloved. That is a summary of Genesis. And some of you are like, I'm not extroverted. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not. Some of you are like, I'm not broken. I'm doing pretty good. Look at me. I'm, I'm obviously do, doing pretty good. No, that's, that, that's, that's who we are. And if you're like, how can, how can that be who we are? Hang on just a minute. We're... We're going to get there. We're going to start at the beginning, Genesis 1, and we're going to start with verse 
26 of Genesis 1. Uh, This is the story of the six days of creation. And then we get towards the the sixth day. And this is what God does. Uh, Verse 26, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, God saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was very good. It was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, what what, what do we see there? We see something entirely unique about humanity. What, what are we, we told? Uh, we see God creating life. Uh, God, God creating conscious life. Not just trees and plants, but, but animals and humanity. And God looks and God says, it's very good. You remember the other days God says, it's good. It's nice. It'll do. But the sixth day, God said, it's very good, very good. This was the point of it all. Everything else serves to, cre- to sustain this type of life. And then when God talks about humanity, what are we told? We're told humanity was created in the image of God, that we're created to reflect God's nature, that we are created to reveal and to live into God's character. And what do we know about God's nature and God's character from the New Testament? God is what? God is love, right? God is love. So what we find out is that you are precious because you are created to love. And you aren't just created to love those who love you. You are created to love others as God has loved you. And in so doing, to reveal the nature of God to this world that God loves enough to give his son. You are precious and you are called. No one has a more important job than you. You, you might think that, oh, there are some people uh, that are really important in this world. Uh, there, there are politicians who are really important. And there are billionaires who are really important. And, and there are people who do this and who do that that are really important. No one has a job more important than you. You are precious and you are created to love others as God has loved you. Uh, we, we sometimes don't realize that, that that's on all of us. You have a more important job than Alexander the Great had. You had a more important job than than Cleopatra. You have a more important job than Joan of Arc. You have a more important job uh, than uh, anyone who's who's ever come, than, than Napoleon. You have a more important job than anyone you're created to love. Now, those people ultimately had that job too. But what we remember of them isn't always that job. But But you have that. You've, you've, you've been given that. And I heard it said one time, and I believe it's true, that if God calls you to share the gospel, don't stoop to be a king. Don't stoop to be a queen. You have that important of a job. Your name may, may never be written in a history book. Uh, you, you, you might not be someone that's five generations from now they're watching YouTube videos about. That's, that's okay. You have the most important job. And here's the thing about Jesus 
if, you're, if you think of yourself as a kind of ordinary person, you're exactly the type of person that Jesus thought was important. Because you see, Jesus practiced trickle up faith. Not trickle-down faith. Jesus didn't go out and go, you know, I can save the world if I can convert King Herod. I, I can save the world if I can convert Emperor Augustus. I can, I can help my whole country if I can convert Pontius Pilate. That wasn't Jesus' plan. Jesus says, I'm going to go to Galilee. I'm going to go to the small towns, uh, not, not the big cities. I'm not going to go to the media centers uh, where they produce all this propaganda. I'm going to work my way through, through the villages. And I'm going to help change the hearts of ordinary people because this world will change when the hearts of ordinary people change. That's what Jesus spent most of his time doing. It must have been most important to him. If you let him do that in your life, and if you commit your life to loving others as God has loved you, you have the most important task that's ever been given on, on this earth. Now, not only when you look at that task, what that means is uh, not only are you precious, uh, but also there's, there's more, more to that. Uh, you're, you're extroverted. And I'm gonna tell you what I mean by that. Uh, we, we're gonna pick up with Genesis chapter two, verse seven, and then we're gonna to skip to verses 15 through 18. In verse seven, it says this. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Did you notice what it said? It said, it is not good that he should be alone. Uh, you weren't created to be alone. You might think you're introverted because occasionally you need some me time to recharge your batteries, but you were created for a relationship. You are extroverted because you are created for a relationship. It is the most fundamental, important thing that you do. The most important thing we do for one another is talk to one another face-to-face -face and interact and relate to each other. And the most important thing we do with God is we seek God's face. We seek face-to-face -face interaction with God through, through prayer because that's what we were created for. We were created for those relationships. We weren't created to be hermits. We weren't created to be isolated. We weren't created to be quarantined. We learned that, right? In COVID, people said, well, what, what difference will it matter if we quarantine for a while? And we saw our mental health issues go boom. And we saw our, many, many of our physical health issues way up here. Well, what happened? Well, our relationships that we were created for, uh, they got ripped away from us uh, for, for a time. And, it had, and, and, and maybe at some of that time medically, maybe it was important that, that we did that. Uh, but when that happens, there are all these other consequences, right? Because we were created for that face-to-face -face relationship. That's, that, that's what God designed us for. And I, I know sometimes for some of us, uh, some of us, uh, we see people and it's like a dog that sees a bone, we're like, people, look, they want to talk to me. I just know it. I'm, I'm going to go talk to them. Uh, some of you are married to folks like this. I know it because you just stand around in the lobby afterwards and you're like, this will be over soon. This will be over, right? And, and, and others of you, it's, it, it's a little harder, but it's important for all of us because there are those of us who say we're extroverted or introverted, but we're just shy, right? 
Now, that's not everybody, but that's, that's some of us. We were, but regardless of how much me time you need to recharge your batteries, we all are created for this relationship. This is why at the church, we teach the three-minute rule and the 10-foot rule. And you know what these are. Uh, we encourage you to come to church three minutes early and to stay three minutes late and to use those three minutes to talk to people. And we encourage you when you're worshiping to, in your mind, draw a circle with a 10-foot radius and say, I'm going to try to talk to everybody in that radius. Some of you right now are thinking, that means if I sit in the back, that cuts out half my radius. Uh, I, I know. I, I, I know. But... I had a lady at church and she came to me and she said, you know, well, I don't like that. That is scary for me. Thinking about the three minute rule and the 10 foot rule. And I think that should just be for people who enjoy that. And I said, would, would you try it for two weeks? Would you just try it for two weeks? Because what if a visitor comes in and someone who enjoys that isn't sitting in 10 feet of them, but you are, would you try it for two weeks? And she said, I'll try it for two weeks. And in my mind, I thought, I hope she doesn't come back after two weeks because I'm going to ask her to try it for two more weeks. <laughs> I don't know if she's figured out how this game works yet, but that, that's, that's what I'm going to do. But it could be awkward. So maybe she'll just keep doing it. Well, she came back after two weeks and I'm like, oh, this is, this is going to be awkward. And, <laughs> and she said to me, she goes, you know, I really didn't want to do this. She said, but I came and I was looking around and most of the people seated around me were people I knew well that I was pretty sure had already been talked to. But there was a young lady who, hadn't, who I didn't know. And I just kept thinking, oh goodness, I have to say something. I should say something. And she said, I, I, I was decades older than her, maybe old enough to be her grandmother. And I, and I thought, what in the world am I going to say to this person? She said, so I just went up and I said, hey, I'm so glad to see you here. My name's such and such. And she said, you know what? We had the most lovely conversation. And I just wanted you to know that I wasn't sure I can do that, could do that. But I was so thankful uh, that I got the chance to, to meet this, this young lady. And I thought, well, well that, is, that is wonderful. Can you do it for two more weeks? Um, and I thought that'd be that. And then we had a group together, people who were new to the church. And they were taking a class to, to get to know the church. And, and I asked, I said, hey, how, um, how'd you get to church? And this this lady said, um, I moved to town for a job, recently got done with school, had a job opening in Knoxville, came here, didn't know many people. And my grandmother gets on the phone and says, now you need to find yourself a church. Now that you're settled, now that you're moved in. You, and she said, I said, grandma, I don't know anybody here. I don't want to go to church by myself. And her grandmother said, that's not good enough. You need to go to church. And she said, so I came to church and I kind of thought, I'll walk in. Nobody will talk to me. I'll, I'll walk out and I'll tell my grandmother, grandma, I tried. And she said, you wouldn't believe it. The sweetest lady at this church spoke to me. And she reminded me of my grandmother. And I thought, God, that's how you're telling me. This is the place I need, I need to be. Because I would have just been here by myself without relationships as much if it, if it weren't for, for this place. That's, that's what we're created for, right? And sometimes it's easy and natural. Sometimes we have to work a little harder at it. But we're created for a relationship. Here's, here's the problem, though. 
Here's why our relationships get sideways. We're broken. We're, we're just broken. Every one of us is broken. It goes back to the, the very beginning. And uh, I want to share, share this with you. Some of you went to school and you know those times when like the teacher chews out the class and you're like the good obedient student in the class and you're like not talking to me. Uh, and then others of you are like, oh, they were talking to me. Folks, they're talking to us, like all of us. The, the, this is the, the story, and, and this picks up with Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made loincloths for, for themselves. Now, a lot of times we take the wrong things. Uh, from, from this scripture we, we learn. I have one friend, uh, I said, what, what does that scripture mean to you? He says, it means if we just ate meat and potatoes, we'd be fine. <laughs> Why are we putting all these greens in our diet? Um, uh, these fruits and vegetables. But uh, other times we say, well, it was Eve's fault. It was both their faults. It was, but Adam had every ability to go, uh, honey, you remember when? He had every ability to go, no, no, you try it. Let's see what happens, <laughs> right? You, you remember when, when your mother and grandmother said, if so-and-so jumped off a bridge, you know, it, it was just both their problems. It, 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 it was both their problems and it's our problem and it's a big problem. And here's what the problem is. We're broken and we often want to be God more than we want to know God. I loved that song uh, that uh, was sung a few moments ago that says, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I just want to be with you. I love that lyric. Jesus, you don't, you've done so much. You don't owe me anything else. I just want to be with you. A lot of times we walk through life and we think life owes us something. And we think God owes us something. And we think, well, I want this. And God, if it's your will, so much the better. But if it's not, I'm going to go after it anyways. And we all walk through life like that. And that's why our relationships get broken. And that's why we get broken in, inside ourselves. And that's why our communities and our country and our, our world gets broken because that, that's how we walk through life. We start thinking we're God. We start thinking we're so big that, that we're creator instead of creature. I, I had a friend and, uh, a couple years back, he wrote a book. It, it kind of became a thing. And we were talking together uh, one day uh, and he said, you know, I, I really, I kind of I thought I was somebody because I got online and, and, and guess what? I, uh, I have my own Wikipedia page now. Yeah, he typed my name into Wikipedia and it came up and he said, this was my first time getting any kind of notoriety and I just thought I was, I was so important and such a big deal. And he said, I started uh, reading my Wikipedia page and uh, my face went white uh, because I, I started recognizing some of the language on that page. And he said, so I made a phone call I said, mom, did you write a Wikipedia page for me? And she said, honey, I think you're very important. 
Sometimes we think we're so important, right? And nobody may remember you. How many of you can tell me the names of your great, great, great grandparents? Any of them. There's like 45 of them. Actually, there could not be 45. It would have to be an even number. But there's a whole bunch, right? How many of you can even tell me their names? But are they important? Yeah, they're important, right? But when we start playing God and when we start thinking, well, I have to have this, I have to have that, it doesn't work out well for us. And here's here's what God does when that happens. Picking up with verse eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and the time of evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she did it. Um, She gave me the fruit for, that's a paraphrase, the fruit from the tree. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent that you created, he did it. Uh, He tricked me and I ate, right? So they both try to blame somebody else for their their brokenness. And and what I want you to know is you grow in faith as you get closer to God. We kind of come into Christianity with this idea that I'll get better and I won't have many problems. Uh, Folks, the closer you go to God, the more you realize, yeah, a lot of your problems get better, but you realize you have more problems than you ever realized. Uh, and you become aware of how God, how adequate God is, and you become more aware of how inadequate you are. You become more aware of how faithful God is, and more aware of how unfaithful you are. And that happens all as you grow, because you realize how holy and sacred God is, and how far you are from that. But it doesn't create despair; it creates thanksgiving, because you recognize you are loved uh, with a perfect love uh, that was and is and and is. T- is to come. And here's what that perfect love does. Uh, it pursues you. You are beloved because lo- God lovingly pursues you when you turn away. That, that's what God does. That, that's God's nature. Some of you uh, are aware of the story from 2018 uh, when the, so- the youth league soccer team in Thailand, you remember they got trapped in the cave and the cave flooded and they were so far underground and so far away from anything that could be method and the water coming into that cave was so great it was like underground rivers and they could divert some of it but they couldn't divert enough of that water to get them out and the chances of those boys surviving were were slim and none some of you have seen the documentary uh, on this I have not I've heard my wife talk about it Um, she gave me the entire summary of it and I'll tell you the what amazed me the most in in this story is the cave divers the, the cave divers were this eclectic group of people and they were hobbyists. They, they were the type of people that thought, what would be fun to do this Saturday? Let's go dive in pitch black water in caves. And they weren't the popular people. They didn't make the soccer team growing up. They didn't make the football team. They didn't make the rugby team. They didn't make the basketball team. They, they, they weren't the cheerleaders. They, they may not have even been, been in the band. They may not have been musical and they needed something. They needed something that they could do. They needed to find their tribe, their group, their people. And they loved doing this. And they were just this weird group of folks from all over the world. That's what they loved to do. And suddenly for a brief period of time, they were the most important people in the world. 
And they were the bravest people in the world because they recognized how difficult this situation was. Even Navy SEALs couldn't get into this cave. But these people who did it every Saturday knew, knew how to do it, even though they, they had no credentials. And they were the only ones with any chance of saving these boys' lives. And they knew how bad the situation was. And they knew that they could very well die going after those boys. And they also knew because they were international and they weren't from Thailand, they knew that if it went wrong, the government could blame them and actually press charges against them for being reckless, even though they were risking their lives to save these uh, young boys and their coach. And they did it. And they did it. They, they, they just did it because that, that's what you do. Because they were the only chance these young boys had and, and they knew it. And there was no one braver and no one more skilled than them to go do this amazing rescue and to, to risk their lives doing it. And when you, when you hear them talk about it, you realize that they analyzed the situation and they said, the odds aren't good. And we're the only ones with a chance. And so we have to do it. There's a beautiful scene where they're talking about whether to go in or not because of how dangerous it is. And one of the divers simply ends the meeting by saying, it's going to be more dangerous tomorrow than it is today. And he zips up his suit and he walks towards the cave and there's no more discussion. The others just zip up their suits and they walk towards the cave. That's how God pursues you. Whether it's dangerous, whether it's painful, even if his son might lose his life doing it, that's how God pursues you even, even in your brokenness. Today we come to the communion table. And as we come to the table, what we celebrate is God pursues us because God wants us to love others as God has loved us. And you can only do that if you've allowed God to pursue you and you've allowed God to, to find you. As we come to this table today on the first Sunday in October, we come as part of World Communion Sunday in United Methodism. That, mean Method that means Methodists from across the globe, they're all coming to this table. They're all coming in every corner of the earth. They come to this table today because Jesus knew that his life was about to be taken away on the cross. And he knew that when he was physically taken from his disciples, they need to know that God still pursued them. And he gave them this so that they'd know. He gave us this as a manner in which he still pursues us to, to live inside of us to help us not only accept our backstory, but to live out God's ongoing story for us. As we prepare to do so, let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for that night in the upper room when you gathered with your disciples and you took bread and you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then you took wine and said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts, we offer our lives as broken and living sacrifices for you. Pour out your spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and juice, let them be for us, your body and your blood, that we might be for the world, your body, redeemed by your blood, sharing your love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, 
including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.